This is NFL.com's Coaches Show Podcast. 40 men together can't lose. This is why you lift all them weights. Everybody's driving out there. Nobody's got them. And now we're going. There's a gleam, men. There's a gleam. Brian Billick for the Coach Show Podcast here with guest host Warren Sapp. And this week we discuss the trials of being an NFL head coach and the rise of backup quarterbacks around the league. Plus, how clutch is Tony Romo? Cowboys head coach Jason Garrett joins the show to discuss his quarterback's late game poise and the passion of Des Bryant. The Coach Show Podcast recapping week nine in the NFL starts now. Well, Warren, let's talk about obviously this week we've had a couple coaches that have fallen under duress, so to speak. John Fox. Uh, obviously, while in the bye week, uh, had to succumb to some a heart surgery that he's now gone through. And Gary Kubiak, and we all saw it on film, leaving the the game uh, and, and being brought to his knees. We still don't know, as of this recording, what's going on with Gary. I understand from the coaching standpoint what they're going through. I had an, an arrhythmia that developed during the season in 2006. Didn't know what it was. And you're fatigued, and there's times I didn't feel like I could pick up the arm. Literally on the sideline going, God, this job's killing me. It's literally killing yeah. me. Let's talk a little bit, and obviously the stress is on the game. Everybody has stresses. But let's talk about what the players went through, not only in the game, but afterwards. Right now, you're in the middle of the game. You're a Houston Texan, and all of a sudden your head coach isn't there. What, how does that affect you as a player? Uh, you know what? It has to be something that is unfamiliar to a lot of NFL players because I've never had that happen to me in my 13-year career. And... I re- it, this is something, a total hypothesis. I'm taking a guess what I would do, but I try to focus on the task at hand, and hopefully I didn't have a question in the middle of a four-quarter game that I needed to go to the head, man. My defensive line coach and the defensive coordinator can handle it, and if not, the assistant head coach. The last place you want to go on game day is to the head man because he has so much on his plate, and the last thing I need to be up there is on some frivolous problem of me and the three-technique having a problem with a double team. No. It has and, to be something really, really big for me to go to the head coach. And it's interesting for me to see now, um, and we'll see how it pans out in Houston, but Jack Del Rio is going to be the interim coach. And on one end of the spectrum, you have a Denver Bronco team. Obviously, he's doing very, very well. So he's stepping into a pretty good seat, but it's also now, hey, don't be changing too much now. I mean, you're just <laughs> keeping this thing warm. He's also going to continue to call the defense. Um, Wade Phillips is obviously stepping into a different situation, depending on how long that's going to be on a team that's really, really struggling. Yes. In either case, if I'm Jack Del Rio or I'm Wade Phillips, I've got to come to you, my best player, and have a conversation with you going, okay, how, if, particularly, and both have been head coaches uh-huh. before, but how do I need to play this with the team? How, what do you want from me as now your interim head coach in a unique situation? What I'd say to you, Coach, is be yourself. And whatever message you have for me to take to this locker room, I guarantee you I'll take it without any ambiguity, and I'm going to back you 100% because without a head man, I don't know what direction we're going because we know we can't let the inmates run the asylum. So whatever head man it is, I, as a leader of this fall club, is going to take your message to that locker room in the exact terms that you want, and I'm going to back you. Yeah. And for, for Wade, actually, it's a little easier, even though it's a tougher situation, because Houston has all the expectations. That they've been struggling. Yeah. So you're just going to continue to struggle. Let's hold together. Jack Del Rio, now what happens if, you, okay, you're my star player, and, okay, you, we're together, you got me covered, we're going here, and all of a sudden now, for the first time, we stumble around a little bit. We don't look too good. For whatever reason, it may have nothing to do with the fact that I'm now the head coach and I'm calling the defense or whatever. But now you get examined. But all of a sudden it's now, well, things were going pretty good and now you're the head man. You get examined right now. What is your message to us? How do we get this thing back on track? How do we get back to playing the football that was making us the best team in the NFL and a Super Bowl favorite? 
Yeah, and, and, and also for Jack, he's going to also call the defenses as he's done now. And More which is on his kind plate. of like, More on his plate. He yeah. has to do the challenges, the timeouts, and everything else that go might pull away from the defense. So I would want him to concentrate on the task at hand and maybe somebody else do the timeouts and that crazy stuff. But. And it's going to manifest itself more during the weekend. That, and, I, and I get the sense that Dak Jack, and he's done this before uh-huh. as a head coach, but now all of a sudden maybe some of the installation is done with some of the other head coaches. Some of just the day-to-day practice. You've got to give somebody else something because it's too much. Do the head it's coach a lot of stuff on his plate right now. Yeah, and, and, and defensive coaches actually, in my opinion, are a better position to be head coaches as a play caller because where are most of the decisions made in the game when you have the ball offensively always so if i'm the offensive play caller sometimes you got to be schizophrenic about being the head coach or the play caller if i'm the defensive play caller and i'm the head coach and now you're calling the plays now i can step and go oh not so fast yeah yeah yeah, yeah we're yeah. gonna we're gonna yeah, punt somebody this. somebody get in the way of you uh, yeah, now yeah. we got now this is a four down territory and it might change that way but now you have the head coach calling the defensive plays and the other guys making the decisions and you might be a little renegade, and then sometimes he'd pull you back. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm with you on that. Jack Del Rio's got to be very careful. Very it is careful. Not, it's an opportunity for Jack, all but not that one by design or anything, but Jack covets to be a head coach again, I'm yes. sure. And Jack worked for me in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Jack, I thought, did a great job in, in Jacksonville. We recognize now, because they haven't done squat since he left, that it wasn't all Jack Del Rio No, it wasn't all Jack. It wasn't all Jack. But uh, Jack but, stuck his hand in that locker room and moved people around and did some things that was yeah. a little strange to the player side of the place. But he can't do coach. that here. He's no, got to basically no. extend whatever John Fox yes, was going yes, to do and yes. sign off on that. And yes. Jack's smart enough to do that. We'll talk about head coaches. We had a chance to talk with the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, Jason Garrett about the big win he had against the Minnesota Vikings. Throws a slant, it's caught. At the 40-yard line, Bryant's running away. Romo's back looking right, pumps, runs out, throws it over the middle. Harris at the one, to the goal line, touchdown, Dwayne Harris. And Romo got it into the end zone with 35 seconds to play. Those Cowboys held on to the top position in the NFC East with a last-minute win over the Minnesota Vikings. And joining us now... The Coaches Show podcast is head coach Jason Garrett. And coach, you're you're specifically orchestrating these last minute wins, aren't you? You just you're just doing TV a favor, aren't you? I guess so. You know, we've had some interesting ones, but you know, like we were talking earlier, it's the nature of the NFL. So many of these games come down to the fourth quarter and the last drive in a two minute situation. Worked out well for us yesterday. Well, let's talk about that drive because here you and I can't think of a better coach to talk to about it because you played quarterback in this league. And to have your quarterback, Tony Romo, who really is one of, has, has developed into one of the best fourth quarter comeback quarterbacks this game has seen. He throws the interception, critical mistake, and then turns around, shows the mental discipline to come back and take you on a 90, 90 yard drive. Talk about what that takes, the mental discipline of a quarterback to be able to transition from the mistake into the winning drive. You know, I thought it was really good for our whole football team. You know, obviously on that second to last drive, you know, we don't want to throw an interception. You know, we, we have a third down play that they do a good job and make an interception on it. And, you know, I thought our team just responded the right way. The, the defense went out there and got a stop for us. Uh, we forced them to punt in that situation. And then we get the ball back on the minus 10-yard line. And, and Tony was fantastic. As good a drive as he's had at the end of a ball game since I've known him, I thought his poise was fantastic. He saw the defense really well, knew exactly what he wanted to do. You know, he made the throws when he needed to make them. He threw the ball away when he needed to. He moved around in the pocket, kept his eyes up, and just made a number of big plays, none bigger than the touchdown to Dwayne at the end. You've got two pretty big impact receivers with Dez Bryant and Terrence Williams. Let's start with Dez. 
talk about, and of course, I did your game up in Detroit and the, the battles with Calvin Johnson and all that, and, and the comparison, even both big-time receivers, but they are different. Talk about the strengths of a Des Bryant. What makes him such a unique athlete? Well, Des is a fantastic player. You know, we love him. He's still a develop, developmental player. He's still growing each and every day. You know, he's a very passionate person. He loves the game. He loves to compete. He loves to practice. He loves to play in the games. And, you know, he has big-time playmaking ability. He's very natural when the ball's in the air going to get it. Uh, he's a very good athlete. He can, he can make plays over his head. He's got great length. He's got natural hands. He, his body control is as good as I've ever been around. And he just has a, has a lot of ability to go and get a football and make a play for his team. You know, he's developing as a route runner. He's gotten better and better every year. He's becoming a more consistent player and uh, a guy that our quarterbacks obviously love to throw to. And that development obviously has to also involve the development in terms of the emotional maturity to know what it is to be a professional. We all see the passion, and I, I get that. you you got to be very careful about reeling in the passion of the player, but you also have to make sure that it's always pointed in the right direction. Talk about what you do to try to help him mature and develop in that capacity as well. Yeah, that, that's a great way to say it. And, you know, my, my experience as a player and coach in this league is, you know, I've seen some some lively sidelines in my day. I think back to the the great players I was around in the 90s on some of those Super Bowl teams with the Cowboys. And trust, trust me, each and every Sunday, if they had a camera on those guys, uh, you know, it would be lively and active and, and certainly entertaining for a lot of people. But they also happen to be the best players I've ever been around. And passion is a big part of this game. Emotion is a big part of this game. Dez certainly has it. The best guys have it, and you said it. You just have to focus it. You have to channel it. You have to make sure the attention is on the task at hand. And uh, what that task at hand is is getting ready for the next play, the next series, the next opportunity you get. You know, with the injury to Miles Austin, obviously the emergence of Terrence Williams, you got in the third round from Baylor. He's had four straight games with a touchdown. Uh, first, talk about what makes him a good player, what you see in him. And, and I'm also interested in when did you know when did you really know, ooh, this guy could help us this year? You know, we liked him a lot coming out of school. You know, he was a record-setting receiver at Baylor. I think he led the nation in receiving. You know, he's a big guy. He's, he's 6'2". He's over 200 pounds. He really can run. And, uh, you know, maybe as much as anything else, what I think what's allowed him to develop so quickly is he's a heck of a kid, and he wants to be a really good player. And you can coach him, and you can coach him hard, and he learns from his experiences and goes out to practice him and tries to refine his game. And, uh, you know, with a guy like that who's talented like he is, he's going to grow and develop before your eyes. And that's what Terrence has done. You know, he's expanded his route tree and his repertoire as a receiver, as an outside guy. And I just think he grows each day in practice. A lot of it has to do with his work ethic and his approach to the game. I know when we had you, Tony mentioned, he, he can't remember a player that has come as far in a six-month period of time, beginning with you when you drafted him in the OTAs. Uh, the way this kid has come along, he says, I've never seen a kid come this far in this short period of time. Yeah, it's great to see because he's a serious-minded guy. He takes great notes in meetings. He listens to everything that you say. And as much as anything else, he grows from the experiences. You know, when young players don't make the same mistake twice, that's a really good thing. That's going to help them develop quickly, and Terrence has certainly done that. I know you were excited to get DeMarco Murray back. Not a lot of carries, obviously. He only had eight, eight carries on the game and on the day, and he only had four. Where is DeMarco Murray in terms of being able, uh, notwithstanding your game plan going in this week, 
How, how much of a load is he ready to take on now? I think he's ready. You know, last week, you know, when we went off to Detroit, he wasn't quite ready. You know, it felt like he was dragging his knee around a little bit in practice, so we held him out of that game. But he came back and practiced really well this week, and, you know, he didn't have many opportunities running the football. But we threw it to him on some checkdowns, and he made some positive runs for us. And uh, he was physical at the end of runs and did a lot of good things in that ball game. So I think he's back to normal. I think he's healthy and ready to go. Hopefully we'll get him some more touches this week. You know, you've got your playing New Orleans and obviously Rob Ryan, your former defensive coordinator, you're going to face. And in the transitory nature of this league, because of the way players and coaches move around, virtually every week you're playing somebody you've been with, you've coached against, you've coached with, whatever it was. Uh, uh, Jason Witten on Rich Eisen's podcast talked about he, he's got a sense that Rob Ryan had this one circled on the, on the map for a lot of reasons. Talk about what it is to go and now face a guy, and you face him not only uh, as a team, but you're going offense against a defense and a guy that you worked with and know very well. Yeah, Rob's a great guy. He, he, he's one of the best guys I've been around in football, and he's a heck of a football coach and, and did a lot for our team here the last couple of years. So, you know, I really wish him nothing but the best. He's a great competitor, and uh, you see what he's done with that New Orleans defense. You know, he's one of those guys who knows football in and out and has a lot of really good ideas that he can implement week to week to help his team play well. And he did that for us. He's doing that for New Orleans. And uh, it'll, it'll, be, it'll be a real battle and a real challenge for us because we know how good he is. And uh, he certainly had a positive impact on their team. we got to be ready for him, and, and, uh, and hopefully we'll have a heck of a game against him. You know, it, 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 it occurs to me as I look, you mentioned your defense, and obviously that three and out after the interception was huge. You love those, as I know you shed as a coach, because now it's a team victory. Everybody contributed to it. But I look at, you know, here you go from, from a, playing the Philadelphia Eagles that you, you hold them to three points. And, and then you go up in Detroit, and, and Calvin Johnson has – and then you got to play Adrian Peterson. Now you get to play Drew Brees. Talk about that <laughs> week-to-week challenge for your defense. It just, just seems it gets tougher and tougher every week. Yeah, and that's what's great about the NFL. Uh, you know, each and every week you're going to be challenged individually and collectively on the offensive side, on the defensive side, in the kicking game. And, and that's what makes the NFL great. And, you know, we've played against some real marquee players this year – you know, Philip Rivers, Peyton Manning, you know, what they're doing in Philadelphia on offense with their up-tempo style, that certainly was a challenge. The Matthew Staffords and the Calvin Johnsons last week, Adrian Peterson's as good a football player as there is in the league, and now, like you mentioned, Drew Brees. So, you know, uh, that's what makes the league great, and uh, you, you'll, you got to love these challenges. You have to look forward to them and relish them uh, as a football team and as a competitor, and uh, New Orleans has been great on offense for a long time. Drew Brees has a lot to do with it, so we got to practice well and get ready to play our best ball game. Oh, I appreciate it, Coach. Do, we, we love the, tight, the games that you got going. Do yourself a favor <laughs> and just blow somebody out somewhere along the cra- way here so you can just relax and enjoy it a little bit. We're, we're trying, Coach. We really are. <laughs> All right. Thanks for joining us on the Coach Show podcast. Thank you, Jason. Great talking to you. Thank you, Jason. That was great. Uh, love visiting with head coaches. That's the best part about the Coach Show podcast. All right, let's, let's, let's get into what, the meat of what we got to talk about because everybody in the league is buzzing about What's going on in Miami? And you're the perfect guy to talk to. We already talked about it a little bit. First, let's start off with you and I both agree, and we're talking about the Jonathan Martin and the difficulty him separating the team because the difficulties he was having with Rich Incognito. He's now been suspended from the oh. team. All sorts of stuff coming out about how this has transitioned, whether it was – first off, 
hazing and bullying. You and I both have an issue with calling this hazing or bullying. That's not what this is about. You can't call that in the NFL. I, I can't. I can't use the word bullying because we're not talking about high school or adolescents or we're talking about grown men in a professional business. So those two words don't don't match for me, Coach. Well, because bullying by nature says that one party has con- power over the other. Correct. And, and in a locker room, that doesn't happen. So, no. But let's, let's go back to the point people want to talk about. And again, I think we need to separate the hazing. And we talked about it on TA. A normal human being could not walk into an NFL locker room and not go, oh, my God, what's this about? They don't have the filter to understand. Look, this is the way men deal in a that, locker That's room. just the way we do it. And you go with it. And the hazing, there's a world of difference between, okay, we're going to indoctrinate a rookie, and you got to do some things about, you know, okay, you're going to bring the donuts in, or maybe you got to buy lunch, or you're going to take my pads off the field. Yeah. And you're going to do that for a while, and that's, that's just a rite of passage. But you had an interesting perspective about what happened to you when you first got to Tampa Bay and how that had to transition. I got to Tampa, and being, you know, one of the top picks in the draft, you expect, you know, your room, your teammates and everybody would be like, you know, he's here to help us. But it was the exact opposite. It was, oh, super rookie can do it all by itself. Don't worry. I'm like, super rookie? I mean, I'm just one cog in 11-man defense around here. And they used to take me to the goalposts every day. Take me and just leave me up against go poke cold water on me, ice, everything. And every day, Brooks would come out there about after all the vets would leave, and he'd cut me out. And I'm like, man, why? And he was like, Sap, you got to stop talking crazy. I was like, that's just how I am. I talk crazy to him because that's, that's what gets me going. So it got to a point where I became the head of the locker room, judge, jury, executioner, and, I, and some of this started going on. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. We're not going to do that, fellas. Because you gonna... know how to affect exactly, the Exactly, because it made me hate my teammates to a point where I didn't want to play with them because if Super Rookie can't do it, let's see what you can do about it because I know I'm a better player than you, but you want to exude some kind of power with me because you've been around the league for three or four years? You ain't playing much. So that was my thing always. There's a certain totem pole to where you get to talk to me a certain kind of way. If you're Hardy Nickerson, you're Thomas Everett, you're Bonnie Bussey, Martin Mayhew, or Slim Dim, which is uh, uh, Josh Demery, those are veteran guys who were starting. I take whatever I get from them. But the Bench warmers in the third string, just because you've been in the league five years don't mean you get to talk over me and I got to buy you this and that and all this foolish stuff. There's a certain point where it crosses the line. And in this instance, something crossed the line for this young man for him to turn and walk away. But they were 3-0 and early, and it was a deodorant on it. Nobody said a word. Winning is the biggest deodorant in the NFL. Once they went to losing, it came out, and now you see what it did. And that was always my concern as a head coach when you saw, and you understood that, yeah, this is, again, a rite of passage. But I was worried about rookies that come in. First off, they have an incredible offseason. They got the combine. Oh. They got, you know, the workouts and all that. Then they come in. They don't know what they're doing at training camp, so they get emotionally worn out. And we may now have to have a couple of those rookies help, help us, us get to the playoffs. And now we already know they're going to be emotionally worn out. Now you're hazing on top of it. Come November, that rookie wall, that, that, that rookie wall is very real. It's 50 feet high, Coach. And he hits it and it falls on him. So I always wanted to make sure that, that we didn't add more on this than that guy was able to take on and not get worn down. You talked about it you kind of took on that leadership but it appears in miami that's a little bit of the problem they traded away some of their leaders or Dansby, got rid of some of long all the guys that were veterans in that locker room they got rid of them so now it fell on richie because he has the most years wow. that's what we do in this league it's not about how many pro bowls or how excellent you play the game it's how many years you have in it and that might be wrong well and okay and we're even talking about young players let's talk about now the responsibility of the locker room when you have because 
you've been on teams. I've been on teams where some guys just don't like one another. Yeah, that, that's going to that, happen okay. all the time. Yeah, as long as we okay. respect one another. Me and Brian okay. Kelly didn't see eye to eye at all. He used to wear this long sleeve and smell like Dolce and Gabbana. But <laughs> I love Brian Kelly because me and Brian Kelly went out on a Sunday afternoon and we set all that to the side because that was my corner and the front and the back end was going to work together and we was going to go win us a championship. And whatever was going on between Rich Cognito and Jonathan Martin, which for the first part... You and I both know. There, I know defensive linemen are tight and all that, but there's no tighter room than the offensive the line. The old line goes like a herd. You never see one by himself. You could never attack an offensive lineman by himself because they're always five, six together. I used to watch uh, Mayberry and Ian Beckles get in the cab from the hotel and drive before the team buses would leave because they wanted to be together. That was their routine. And that's the one thing I've always known about offensive linemen. They are in a pack, and I can never find one by himself for me to attack. And so it's inconceivable to me that that room or the offensive line coach weren't aware that this was going on with these two guys. Let's say it is just these two guys. So if you see that and you can see this thing is escalating, this is this is going to become an issue. Do you start going to them or do you go to the coach first? No, you go straight to these two players and you say, what is this? I mean, first of all, y'all started on the same side. Right guard, right. Right, I mean, left tackle, left guard. I mean, y'all had to have a relationship to where double team, scoop blocks, tag team blocks, all the different things. And offensive linemen never are by themselves. I, how, how are we at this point right now? It had to be something very, very personal between these two. Yeah, and I know Joe Philbin's kind of got him to say, it's my responsibility. I've got to make He's sure the, the workplace is He's right. He's late. That, that, yeah. And, He's late. And it's hard for me to imagine – just like whether it's Bounty Gate, Spygate, and, and those head coaches, yeah, you're involved with a lot of things, but you've got to have the pulse of your team. You've got to have that building set so that when an issue comes up, whether it's the player, it's the assistant coach, it's the trainer, it's the equipment guy, it's the assistant PR guy, someone that can come to you because you're not going to see it all. And you can't say, see it all. Something going on here. You, coach, you better pay attention to what's going on. So if you go to these guys and they – all of a sudden now you can tell it's not going to resolve itself. There's still issues here. What do you do now? You got to go to the head, man. You got to go to the top because it I'm starts from to. the top, the director, and then he nips it in the bud because we couldn't handle it in the locker room setting. We couldn't get it settled between us because normally if me and you got a problem, me and you can work this out the way we can work together. And if not, then it has to go upstairs. Yeah, and I don't – and the problem I see now is for this Miami locker room <laughs> – they're aware of it. They had to be, and they probably had to choose sides a little bit. Definitely like every did. locker room. Some people see it Jonathan Martin's way. Some see it in Kyle Like with two quarterbacks, sure. we go switch sides. I have my guy, you have your guy. And eventually, the guy upstairs has to make the decision. And the fact that that doesn't get resolved that way now, whatever goes down, there's half to go, well, it should have gone down. Uh, this isn't What's right. next? This should have happened. Yeah, yeah. What's They're looking next? for that next thing to happen. And as you, I always say that, and most coaches will tell you, look, September and October, is all about just get us in position to where we can be relevant in November and December. November we'll make our and December run. is what they remember. Exactly right. Let's the dash for the cash. So there it is. So let's let's that just get, let's just get us there. We don't have to lead the division necessarily, mm-hmm. but we got to be close enough. Got to be in the hunt. But at some point in November and December, you're going to be challenged as a team on or off the field. In, in any number of ways, because everybody's got their own personal lives, whether it's a, the death of a parent, you got a child that's sick, Everything. you're having a problem, you're going through a divorce, you've banged your car up, whatever it is, uh, that that locker room's got to hold together. And so what are the odds of Miami? They're going to say, we're in this together, we're going to fight through it, it's us against the world. How do they hold together? Good answer, good <laughs> answer. That's what I'd give them with that, Coach, because the only way you galvanize your football team is if I believe in what you're doing on a day-in, play-in, play-out basis. 
Yeah, it's it's going to be a tough, and we still haven't got all the information on how this thing. Goes it's down. enough that there's it, it, some stuff there. Yeah, and something's not right, and and the, and, really and not because, right. but we both agreed it's not bullying. That that no, that term no, should go out no, the window, no. and clearly it's going to cost this organization. It's something I I would, if indeed it goes down that way. Let's say it turns out, and and that's the company line that okay, we, this was going on, we didn't know. Or at least it didn't find its way to the head coach. Yeah. I gotta, as a head coach, in my opinion, I've got to spend the entire rest of the season make sure I'm touching every player, How assistant PR guy, also your team, and asking them, what is it that I've done to make you think I shouldn't have known that? Why didn't you? Because obviously, if they haven't brought it to you, there's a reason they. There's I got to find out you, what that either, either we didn't think you could handle it, or it's something that we didn't want to bring to you. And either way, it's wrong. Well, let's talk about a problem that, in that regard, you got to help me with. That, okay, you're one of any number of different teams. Now we're going through quarterbacks like bad socks. You know, oh, yeah. if I'm in in Minnesota, and I've gone Ooh. from, I'm asking you, my star player, look, we got to go with Christian Ponder. He's our guy, and we got to back him up. Okay, now, no, we're going to go with Matt Castle. Castle, you got to really support him. No, now you're going to do it with Josh Freeman. Well, that lasted one game. We got to go back to Christian Ponder. How how do you hold up? Particularly on the defensive side of the ball when it's just, God, my God, what's going on on offense? We have a rule on the defensive side of the ball, Coach. Only worry about the things that we can control. And the only thing we can control is that quarterback we're facing, that offense we're facing. I have enough issues. I want to know how does Christian Ponder go from the one to the three back to the one? And how do you as the coach that was – because he was in that locker room when you're saying, oh, now we have Matt Castle and we're going forward. Oh, no. And Josh gives us a better chance to win than anybody else. What do you do as a coach to go back to those players and say, son, I know what I said in front of the room. Here's the ball. Lead us to a win. How do you do that, coach? Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And that's why anytime you transition a quarterback, it's the most gut-wrenching thing for a team. You, oh. you better not do it just haphazardly. There better be some legitimate. They've done it three times, coach. Because right now the locker room, isn't it, that some thinking ponders right? Some, some are thinking, thinking castle. get Castle back yeah. in there. Yeah, yeah I, that, that's a tough one. I don't that's know tough. how they uh, – yeah. And, and, How do you and, come back from that? And then, okay, let's talk about Philadelphia. Mm. We have a backup in Nick Foles, who Philadelphia collectively can't get three points, but three points against the Dallas Cowboys and all the things. I had just done the Dallas Cowboy game where Detroit hung, you know, 30-plus points on them and came back and all that. And now he goes out and throws for seven touchdowns. You got Michael Vick sitting there. So now how, how does the coach, if I'm Vic, uh, Chip Kelly – I got to say, okay, we're sticking with Nick Foles. He's going to be our guy going forward. Oh, you're finally sticking with somebody now, Coach. Okay. <laughs> that was the problem yeah. in the beginning with Chip Kelly. He thought this was college I and his cookie cutter, through. his cookie cutter fit any quarterback, no matter if it was Matt Barkley to Mike Vick over to Nick Foles. Now he understands this league, the defenses in this league is the fastest adapting organism on the face of God's green earth, and they will they will swamp you once you come out there and roll out the same plays because me and Kurt and Marshall and the guys on game day morning talked about it week after week when they first rolled it out. We was like, those are the same plays, fellas. They're just lining this thing back up, just running it before you can line up. Eventually, people are going to catch on that. These are the same plays. Now what do you have, coach? And now what he went to was an offense that favors Nick Foles and not one that just favored Mike Vick and said, I'll cookie cut it and everybody's got to fit. He has something with Nick Foles. He better stay with it. Yeah, and, and the challenge they have, I, I can't, and maybe they have. Maybe they can decide that. But to me, job one is really they got to find out, is he going to be the guy going forward? Or are we going to look for a guy in the draft coming forward? How about and this? the only way to do that is let him play. How about this? A 34-year-old that hears a pop in his hamstring that depends on speed, 
go with Nick Foles. Vic's not coming back from that. Yeah, and and so that's going to be job one for them, dealing with that quarterback issue for them. Uh, and is Nick Foles that guy? Now, obviously, coming off a seven-touchdown performance looks pretty good, but I also I, I did uh, Matt Flynn's six-touchdown performance game with the Green Bay Packers versus the Detroit Lions. And he Boy, didn't this have is a the job. next coming. And he didn't have and a now, job. now he's literally out of the league. He's literally out of the league. So how do you, you know, that, whew, that's Oof. a tough one. Let me ask you this. Let's. I, I want to go back to, to a, a team that has also had to transition at the quarterback mm-hmm. position. Your Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and I'm, I'm going to call them your. They're your Tampa Bay. They're mine. Okay. I will take this one. Did did, did they? Uh, you had to respect what they did going into Seattle, but I've been in this position before. Was that kind of like the last hurrah? We're going to show this one, and then it just didn't. Is this team? I, I don't know how this team rebounds. Now. When you go all the way across the country, was it? 3,000-plus miles, yeah. that's a nice track. <laughs> you go up there and you get a 21-point lead, and you were running the ball downhill with Mike James from the University of Miami, and you can't seal that game? I, I mean, at the end of the game, you looked at Mike Lennon and you went, it's too big for him. I mean, the kid was just in a bad position that now you're going to dump the game on my shoulders after all game long. We've been running Mike James and putting ourselves in a position where I really didn't have to do much except read what I was reading and put it on the money. Ooh, that's tough. That's all coaching, isn't it? When you make a couple adjustments at halftime, you need to make a couple in your locker room to finish this thing off, get on the road, and get out of town with a win. And and it's hard not to put it in the context of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but, again, I love talking to you and getting that perspective of the player, that player-coach's perspective. Let's not make it Tampa, but we know we're talking about Tampa. If you're a player on the Tampa Bay or a team that you know, okay, your fate is sealed. Okay, I know we're not mathematically eliminated, until, but we know where we're both headed. Oh, that's you. What do you want the organization to do? Do you want them to let, let, let's let this guy ride it out and we'll try to – or go ahead and make a change? And what do you want the organization to do? You know what? I would rather stick with him, but I want a plan. I want him to lay I out – I want to know what he's laid out for the next seven, eight weeks. And I need, checks. I need checks and balances to be able to say – it's okay for me to put you back on my sideline. Or it's okay for me to come back in this locker room and you be my head coach because I can see we going somewhere. But they've lost, what, 13 out of 14? Yeah. I mean, ooh, come on. That's, that's tough. That's tough. You know, I always ask Mooch, and I appreciate you sitting in for Mooch. It's his birthday, by the way. We got Oh, happy, happy birthday, birthday Moochie. Mooch. We love you, baby. Absolutely. He'll be back next week. Um, but I love asking because, I, you know, I do a game every week, and so I try to play catch-up here a little bit as I'm <laughs> flying back in and okay. then what I do on Mondays. But you, you get to sit there and you see all the games, sitting there with the game day crew on Sunday. What this last weekend, this was a crazy weekend. We saw, we saw teams that looked <laughs> bad one week, and now I, I wrote a piece this week uh, that basically says, okay, let me get this straight. Tampa can go in and hang 21 nothing on Seattle, and this is a team that hasn't won a game. You know, let me get this straight, that, that uh, just one turn after another, when you look at what's going on in this league and going, how does this make sense? That the Dallas Cowboys, after, after holding the Philadelphia Eagles for three-point, let the Minnesota Vikings do what – explain this to me. And it took me. a missed extra point. To do it. What, what's the number one takeaway from this last weekend? What jumped out at you as you're sitting there and looking at all the games, with all, with, sitting with the guys on game day? We can never judge this NFL, so let's just sit back and enjoy it. <laughs> it's the greatest game on the face of the earth, so let's just sit back and enjoy it because we can't put our finger on one thing and flip it. And, you know, like my producer said, Charlie, we don't know nothing. <laughs> right now, give me one team that you, if you had to put the paycheck, you have to put the church's money on it. San Francisco 49ers. Yeah, I, I, thank you very much. I like that. <laughs> 
That's a scary team right you now. You know They're why? Because you're a coach. We invented buck ball and you perfected it. We think the same way. <laughs> well, they might pull it off. Warren, I want to thank you. We'll get Steve Mariucci back here next, next week for the Coaches Show podcast. We're also going to have a one-on-one interview with Andy Reid. So make sure you download this. Go to iTunes, check out, and also go to NFL.com, the Coaches Show podcast next week.